You're listening to Don't Sell the Farm. Listen, friend, God does not have to say to us again, I want you to go out and witness it. 1900 years ago, Jesus said to us, Go ye out into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. He does not have to say one more word. Those are our marching orders. We need no sign from heaven. We need no urging of the Spirit. We have a command that has never been rescinded. The urgency of the hour is into all the world. And we do not have forever to preach this gospel. But time is running out. Welcome to the podcast today, guys. We have um, Pastor Stephen Cassio on. Uh, my co-host, Aaron, um, his wife, Tanya, had a baby, so he is not here today. So Stephen and I are, are here to talk a little bit about um, Stephen's experience pastoring, uh, taking over uh, other works, and uh, his time um, with Pastor Mitchell. Um, and traveling with him and, and going around and doing healing crusades and various things. So, Stephen, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Sure. Um, I want to I start off just, uh, if you could, give a, a brief testimony of how you got saved, you know, what, what your background is, and, and how you ended up uh, uh, feeling the call of God on your life. Sure, sure, yeah. So, um, going, going back in time a little bit, my... My parents were both saved in Prescott um, in the 70s. My father moved from Long Island, um, traveled around in Arizona a little bit, and then ended up in Prescott. My mother moved from California. They met um, in the church. They got saved in the church, married, uh, had kids, and I'm the fourth in our family, so I'm the, the baby of the family. And I got saved when I was 15 years old. Um, Pastor Lamb was was preaching in the Ruth Street Church, mm. and uh, I couldn't really tell you what he preached about. But leading up to that moment, as a as a 15 year old punk, you know, had a lot of uh, good things given to me in my life. Had a lot of um, you know blessings in my life. But as uh, you know, trying to avoid Christianese, but as a church kid, you mm -hmm. you don't really uh, appreciate what your parents um, attempt to save you from. You think you're right. missing out on the world. So, uh, I, at least for me, I had I had the uh, foresight to know that becoming a drug addict was probably a bad idea, or <laughs> becoming an alcoholic was. I wanted to avoid that. The one of the nice things about our fellowship is you can see um, people's lives changed. Former drug addicts coming in. Um, you know, and being delivered out of that. And as a church kid, I, I saw that, wrote it down. Okay, I, I, I don't want to become that, but I'll do other things. I'll, you know, I'll be a sinner in different ways. And so I was rebellious against God. And my view was as long as I'm not as bad as my brother, 
Um, <laughs> slide under the radar, kind of. <laughs> I, can, I can slide under the radar a bit. And so that's, that's kind of how I, I viewed, viewed my life. That's kind of how I lived my life. And, um, you know, but I had, I had my come to Jesus meeting and uh, I walked into, into church on a Wednesday night and something was different about, about that service. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd sat through hundreds of altar calls and heard tons of sermons and nothing really affected me like that night. I, I knew God had my number. I knew that I was going to be held accountable for my sin mm-hmm. and it, it didn't matter how I was raised. It didn't matter who my parents were, siblings, not, none of that mattered. So I had to come face to face with my own sin, and and that service, I rose my hand, I went down to the altar, I got saved, and um, you know my life has been radically changed since that point. And and thank God I don't have the testimony of you know I used to be a drug addict or I used to uh, you know um, be an alcoholic. So yeah, I think a, a lot of the time, um, you know, again avoiding Christianese here, but kind of unavoidable. The church kid mentality is, oh yeah, I gotta go make a testimony for myself, or you know, maybe maybe not so much in 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 that way, but um, people feel you know that that did get saved before they really went and blew up their whole life. That oh man, you know, my testimony is lame. Nobody cares, mm. you know. But yeah, yeah. But I look at that as way more way more powerful that you made the decision early and and you didn't waste any time yeah yeah I, I wish I could go back and not waste time yeah you know? yeah and I think I think you have two camps you have church kids who who say yeah I'm, I'm gonna go make a testimony for myself and you know become a drug addict that you might you might have a few kids that do that but I think for the most part church kids can be very prideful mm-hmm. and in the in the feeling of like uh, I'm gonna beat the rap yeah, yeah, yeah. It everybody else's life blew up, but it's going to be different for me. Yeah. I'm going to make something yeah, exactly. myself, you know. And so, you know, after I got saved, I had a, a neighbor friend, and and we had high aspirations of um, starting a a metal band, Christian metal band. <laughs> um, you know, I was learning drums at the time. You're going to be the next striker, man. Yeah, th- it was. <laughs> yeah, I can remember sitting in my in my bedroom with my friend, and and he he gives me a track uh i think it was i think it was under oath or somebody oh yeah okay and it was he he's like can't you feel these words you know listen to these words man it's so powerful and i'm like (laughs) i can't hear these words i don't (laughs) i I can't i can't get much out of this and you know so thankfully god had other plans for me and you know we didn't start touring as a christian metal band we couldn't find a singer or a guitar player so you know (laughs) flighty musicians but um no, it's it's true. God, God really uh, uh, was gracious and, and protected me from a lot of that. You know, my parents uh, were saved when I got saved, and so you know, my my home life it was it was a blessing to have stable parents. And, yeah. You know, um, you know, somewhat stable siblings. You know, but uh, <laughs> we we all had to have that moment for ourselves. It's I, right. I can't get to heaven based on the salvation of my parents. You know, it's we're all going to be held accountable for our own actions, and so, you know, that was that was my that was my conversion experience, and uh, you know, that's that's where we are today. Well, good. (laughs) I'm not sure how much more you need. No, that's great. No, um, so the the question then becomes, 
you you got saved, you know, you're a convert now. Where does the discipleship begin in, in that? What, what well, made you realize or, or come to the realization that maybe I'm called to preach? Yeah, so so for me, you know, getting saved, that that dealt with the issue of eternity, but I, I, I didn't have any real aspirations of, you know, preaching or, or doing anything phenomenal for God. In high school, I was in a fire science class, and I began to... Uh, direct my life at becoming a firefighter and I was going to join a wildland crew and through different events circumstances it didn't really pan out that way and I remember growing up and um, I always admired my brother-in-laws they were when when I was young they were they were disciples they were rising up they they were preaching um, you know they had they had high hopes of doing something for God Mm -hmm. and so I admired that but it, it was. It wasn't that their calling didn't turn into my calling, right? You know, and 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 so it was like, oh, that's that's cool, that's neat. I, I admire it, but that's not really where I want my life to go. And so I I had no real intention of of being a pastor or in, and you know I didn't even really see how that could become a reality. You know, as as I was growing in my salvation. Um, you know, I joined a band and so that was, that was exciting being a part of something mm-hmm. bigger than myself, you know, and, uh, the first band I, I was in, it was a, a reggae band with, uh, Denny Halverson, uh, Mark Pepage, um, you know, Rich Merck and, uh, a bunch of other people, but it was, mm-hmm. uh, those, those exciting times there. But really the... The, the galvanizing moment for me in my calling, um, Pastor Greg preached a sermon, I believe it was in 2010, uh, it was the January Bible Conference. Um, it was entitled Shields of Brass. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, 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 it spoke to me in a way, God spoke to me in a way that I, I'd never really experienced before. You know, discipleship up until that point for me was just kind of like, when I have time or yeah, you right. know, it's kind of like a social thing. Okay. I'll go to serious men because, yeah. you know, I don't want to get hassled by my friends. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, it was in, it was in that moment. Uh, I remember pastor Greg challenging if you felt called to preach. And I remember God speaking, speaking to me almost audibly. Uh, I want you to preach the gospel. And it was like, I'd never heard that before. My that's, that wasn't really the trajectory of my life. Right. You know, but, um, that, that really helped clarify a lot of things in my mind of what kind of person person will I become down the road and and you know what what uh, what is what does God have for me the overall plan and it's like Pastor Greg has said um, the two most important moments of your life is the day you were born and the day you find out why right and it was at that service that I found out why you know career, making money, building a family. It's like, yeah, those things are all, all uh, important to a degree. But when, you know, the, the, the DNA of a man who's called by God, when God speaks to them and says, this is what I want you to do. This is the mm-hmm. direction I want you to go in your life. Um, everything else has to become secondary. Yeah. Everything else has to line up behind that, you know. And, and, and that, was, that really helped me because it wasn't just like, this ethereal, you know, maybe, you know, Great Commission, go into all the world. Yeah, God wants all Christians to be fruitful. It wasn't, it was, it was personal for me. Right. You know, and, and so that was, that was really the, the, uh, the, the starting point, you know, and, and before then, you know, I made decisions, things that were unwise, but, 
um, God really helped steer me away from making very bad decisions in relationships and um, you know and again you know my my pastor pastor Greg helped uh, bring clarity in a situation that if I had gone through with it and I'm, I'm being vague on purpose but mm-hmm. um, if I had gone through with it I think my life would be very 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 different and so you know those there was those those defining moments yeah at the time it's it's a slight course correction but then you look back and it's like right wow one I degree course correction bullet. after right. miles it makes it be very difference. very different yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and so that was that was the moment where I felt called to preach you know and and after that it was you know the the, the basic uh, decisions of faithfulness prayer, reading your Bible, being committed. Um, I remember going up to Pastor Greg and, and telling him, I, I feel called to preach. And he's like, all right, man, that's great. Yeah, you know, yeah. That, <laughs> the typical response. It was the handshake, okay. and then uh-huh. it's like, okay. okay. <laughs> thank you. Okay, thank you. But it was, it was, that, was, that, was, uh-huh. that was more powerful for me because it was like, all right, this isn't just something that I think is happening in my head. I had to vocalize it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I had to go on record. And so... Would you say that uh, it's sort of like any act of faith, you have to sort of um, put action behind it for it to be more real? It's, you know, you can sort of have it in your head, but yeah, if you put it, put it, put some action behind it, it becomes a little bit more. Yeah, because if it's just in your head, you cannot do it and nobody will be the wiser. Yeah. But if you tell point. somebody and it's like, hey, didn't you say you were called to preach? Yeah. Why are you doing that? You know, <laughs> that's not a church good, that's not a discipleship or, or decision. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's what Pastor Greg um, calls them as discipleship decisions. Mm. You know, there'd be big decisions in your yeah. life. And I've been in, in his office before yeah, and talking to him about a big decision, something that's you know going to be pretty radical. And he goes, well, does that bring you closer or further away yeah. from yeah. what God has called you to? Yep, yep. And, and oftentimes, because as Christians, we live a life by faith, you're trusting God so... To say yes to the call of God means you're saying no to a number of other things. Right. Right. Making a lot of money and a, and a great career. All those things, you know, they're not necessarily evil in and of themselves, but uh, they have the capacity to take you further away from the call of God. Exactly. So you put down anchors and you put down hooks into into the, the temporary and then once you get older I've, I've seen this even in our church guys who at one point they felt called to preach and mm-hmm. now they have they have cemented themselves into this current position and it's like well I can't I can't go and pioneer because I have debt or I have obligations right. or um, you know all these different circumstances when looking back on my life I, I can I can honestly say that the the place of the most blessing the place of the most uh direction in my life and encouragement and um it is in the center of the will of god yeah every single time and uh it's it's really it's really uh it, it was really again like i said before it was really a galvanizing moment because then it was like once I felt the call of God, I felt God speak to me, mm-hmm. then it was easy to say no to those other things. Right. I'm not going to be a firefighter, a yeah. wildland firefighter, and be away from church for six months out of the year. Right. 
that doesn't get me any closer to the will of God. Exactly you know? right. Yeah. Um, you know that, and that played out in in relationship decisions. That played out in financial decisions, and um, you know, and that was that was really a that that was that was a, a key moment for me. You know, because it, it made it made everything clear. Right. Right. So, so um, you went uh, you went from disciple to pastor, obviously at some point. Um, what what uh, what year did you? Because uh, you were launched originally to Denver. Yep. To Pioneer. What what year was that? So we we went on staff as concert directors in 2013, and then the following year, uh, July 2014, we were launched into Denver, Colorado, to Pioneer. Okay. And so you, uh, Denver is an area that I know at, at that point. Uh, had a number of maybe maybe not at the point when you were there, but there were a number of people there already. Um, um, yeah, yeah. So uh, a number of people as far as a number of uh, pastors people. already oh, already see. pioneering that city. Yeah, yeah. One of the motivations for me even wanting to go to to Denver was um, Brandon and Andrea Pepich were already there for mm -hmm. six months. And they were having screaming revival, like God was moving, miraculous things were happening, people were getting healed, and and I knew Brandon from before, and and by his own admission, uh, God used him in a powerful way, and it was it was unexpected. Yeah. Up until that point, before Brandon, you know, got to uh, Denver, he had really started stepping out in Prescott and Prescott Valley, praying for the sick, seeing people get healed, and so. That was, to me, in, in my mind, that was always a reference point. Yeah. Because I said, God, if you can use Brandon, surely you can use a guy like me. And I said, if God's moving there, he can move for me too. And um, it was, uh, I think it was a Thursday night of conference when I was on staff. Pastor Greg said, you know, we, we don't really have any, any churches for you to take over, but um, uh, you want to pioneer, where would you like to pioneer? Right? It was this Thursday mm -hmm. night, I was like, Denver and, and you know I I knew nothing about Denver really I, yeah you know just from what Google Maps showed me <laughs> and he's sure. like all right we'll announce it tomorrow and so you know that was that was a, a pretty powerful powerful experience um, you know and and going back just just going back a little bit in in the discipleship process before we went on mm -hmm. staff I think when when I started preaching in 180 there was I want to say like 12 other altar call preachers at the time. Wow. You know, and so. Bit of a rotation, eh? <laughs> the rotation was like uh, every, every three months or so. Yeah, yeah. You had no no excuse <laughs> to not have an illustration yeah. and, and have that thing polished to the max. Yeah. You know, and so, but what 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 is amazing about our fellowship that, that has always uh, inspired and encouraged me is it doesn't work like uh, like a climb the ladder and hopefully you get to the top eventually. Because if, if that were the case, then, you know, guys would be, well, I'm at the bottom rung of the ladder. It'll take me 15 years before I get sent out because there's all these other guys in front of me. Um, you know, the way our fellowship works is you feel the call of God. You want to preach. You're going to do something about that. Yeah. And, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't start when you finally get out to whatever field you want to preach in, mm -hmm. uh, it, it starts in your local church. You know, you go to your pastor. I want to. I want to do something for God. It's like, okay. Well, what are you doing now? Right. You know, if if the church 
the, you know, the numbers of people in the church was solely dependent on how many people you won to Jesus and brought to church, how many people would be in your church today. Exactly. Right. And, yeah. and so that was one of the conversations, um, you know, one of the powerful conversations I had with Pastor Greg. Uh, <laughs> he invited me out to coffee one morning and I'm like, yeah, cool. Going to coffee with Pastor. This is great. And it was we were probably three or four months away from being launched. Mm-hmm. And and he he asked me point blank. He said, "Can you point to one area of your life where the supernatural power and working of God is at work?" You know, he said it much more eloquent than I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, one one area of your life where there's something supernatural happening. Yeah. And he said because when you go out onto the field, when you go pioneer, it's not going to matter how well you can organize paperwork or whether or not you can design just the perfect flyer or banner. What it's going to depend on is the supernatural power of God working through your life, whether that be getting people saved or seeing people healed or -hmm. or whatever whatever the case may be. Something supernatural has to be at work. And so that really challenged me to step out in faith and begin to pray for the sick, begin to, you know, exercise that faith muscle because it, it's true. When you get out on the field, it, people people don't really care uh, who your pastor is. Yeah. Uh, no one know, knows. Nobody no one knows, knows you. Right. And and yeah. so the, the expectation can't be that, oh, when I show up, it's just it's just going to happen. It's like, no, it, it takes work. Yeah. It, it takes it takes, uh, you know, you have to you have to put the put the work in. You have to put the energy in. Like Pastor Mitchell said, you have to work like it all depends on you but pray like it all depends on God yeah it's those that truth intention and so you know that was um, that was a that was a powerful moment so arriving into Denver you know we we pull in with our U-Haul and uh, you know it's it's a crazy scene because at the time um, Colorado had just opened up uh, the cannabis market oh and so right. you know you could you could legally smoke it. And so when we first rolled into town, I'm like, man, they must have a serious skunk problem here in, <laughs> here in Denver. You know, like, Naive Prescott like, kid. disgusting. Yeah. You know, yeah, here I'm, I'm a country bumpkin <laughs> from Prescott, you know, and, and one of the first apartment complexes we go and outreach in, I, I open the door and this, this guy opens up. He's got dreads. His eyes are all, you know, uh, murky and red. He's got a giant bong on his coffee table and the smoke just billows out of his house. And I'm just <laughs> like, this isn't Prescott anymore, you know. <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, God really helped us in Denver. We saw we saw some powerful conversions. Great. Yeah. And so you went from Denver, um, obviously seeing some uh, good stuff there, um, and then there was an opportunity to take over a work in Twenty Nine Palms. Yep, yep, yeah. We um, we we labored in Denver for two years. Um, God really helped uh, solidify a work there. You know, circumstances of life. Uh, you know, the mysteries of life. Why some people leave, some people, uh, you know, disappear, and 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 it doesn't work out. But we were able to take our church, merge it with um, uh, Brandon Pepich's church. And uh, we were able to respond to the need in in 29 Palms because mm-hmm. the pastor that was there had to go to Marion, Illinois, because the pastor in Marion, Illinois went to Kathmandu, Nepal. Okay. And so 
it's the uh, the domino effect of our fellowship yep. when 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 somebody answers the call that usually leaves a, a space open some vacancy yeah. yeah and so it was it was a healthy it was a healthy change for us it was a it was a, a very very timely um, uh, transition um, moving from Denver and you know there's still it's like with anything in the ministry you you leave a piece of yourself yeah. wherever you go and and mm-hmm. you know there's still a, a part of our hearts that are still in Denver but you know the 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 positive thing from that is you look down you, you look now we have the benefit of hindsight right mm-hmm. so a number of people that got saved in in our church there and we were actually in Aurora it's just a suburb of Denver a number of people that got saved there now they're serving God in another fellowship church um, in Florida and so uh, they're still you know, living for God and, and being effective. So, so what was it like? Remains, yeah. What was it like going from uh, you know a state where they had just legalized pot and you had a bunch of potheads and drug addicts and stuff mm-hmm. coming into your church to military town? Everything is straight laced and you know. Um, well, I mean, big difference there. Or? You you know that the the thing it, it was. It's two totally different experiences because what what we saw happen in in Denver is um, we saw a lot of former drug addict um, drug dealers get saved come into the church and a lot of men a lot of men getting saved you know coming into the church that was that was powerful then like you said the weed was was an issue in mm-hmm. Denver obviously but then moving into twenty nine you had two camps of people you had the straight laced military uh-huh. you know but then the other the other reality of a military town is it's not just straight laced marines reading their bible before bed every night it you had you had severely broken relationships in right. in, in military towns you have that's what it, so Aaron is uh, who's not here with us but he would he would attest to the fact that marines he, he the story of marine marriages is always uh, almost universally bad marriages yeah and so, yeah, it maybe seems like a little bit more pressed and straight lace on the surface, but right, right, yeah, they, yeah, they, they press their uniforms and you know shine their shoes so they don't get in trouble. But you have a lot of couples they they enter into marriage under completely incorrect uh, context. They mm-hmm. get married because you make a lot more money as a married couple than you do as a single marine. Oh wow. But then you combine that with Marines that get deployed. So then wives are stuck at home, you know, and, and they're emotionally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if that's okay to say in our current climate, but... Uh, <laughs> You're going to get canceled for that. Canceled, yeah. But no, it, it, it's true, though. You, you had a lot of uh, Marine wives that were very broken. And, and my wife saw that, um, you know, she'd go to the park with our kids... And on, on any given day, she would talk to three or four Marine wives that, yeah, my husband's deployed overseas. I haven't seen him in months. And, you know, she would end up praying with a lot. We had a lot of Marine wives getting saved in our church and mm-hmm. um, at the beginning. But you're, when, you're, when you're taking over a church, you're trying to navigate all the different circumstances of that city. You have to relearn the town. Yeah. You know, you have... Yeah, you've got a marine base, but you also have town people right. that have nothing to do with the base. And yeah. so it's you're working with those different personalities and sure. 
you're also the other thing about a about a military town is you have people coming into that town from completely different backgrounds and cultures, right? Right. So East Coast, West Coast, you have you know all all different types of people coming in, and so you're having to learn a lot of stuff very quickly and and how to work with people and, sure. and you're you're juggling, right? We're not just going to outreach town people and we're not just going to outreach Marines. We have to we have to try and find out a way to do both. And so at the beginning, excuse me, we were we were trying to uh, get on the base, start a Bible study group on the base. And I know the previous pastor, he had he had been trying the same thing. He had a couple of bands that were able to come in and, and play on the base. But mm-hmm. that was always a stronghold that seemed like, man, if we can just crack the code on the base, if we right. can just if we can get something going. And, and the key was really having uh the right guys get saved at the right time. You have, yeah. you know, high-ranking Marines getting saved in the church that had pull, that had clout and ability mm-hmm. to give us favor. They they knew right. the right people to talk to, and so, you know. And now with with Jake and Jen, it's just it's blowing up all over the place. Yeah. They have in a good way. <laughs> yeah, no, crazy good. <laughs> they have Bible study groups going all the time in town, on base, you know, yeah. off base housing, um, you know, and so. You know, we we really we were really blessed to be able to, um, you know, be a part of that. Yeah, and sow the seeds. Yeah, you know, to some yeah, degree. absolutely. Yeah, Paul said, "I've uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God brought the increase." And right. so, that's one of the one of the things about a takeover is you are you are inheriting blessing and work that that you didn't work for. Right. Right. You didn't. You didn't plant those seeds you didn't plow that ground you you weren't there taking dominion you weren't there in those prayer meetings yeah but you get to inherit all that blessing yeah. right and so that's and 29 is a is a pretty old work at this point it's been around yeah like a decade right? yep yep yeah it was originally pioneered uh by the brooks and then micah and megan right they're in uh, american samoa now they they were able to uh, take over that work and and really 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 <laughs> they 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 helped fix a lot of issues that were going on in that mm-hmm. church and like with any church you have problems and situations that that you inherit yeah but it's working through those things and um like i've said to other people with any kind of a takeover you you are bringing something that god has ordained that right. god has God has purposed for for that time and that season. Right. Something that the other guy maybe didn't have so much, or it's just different. It's just it's mm-hmm. just a change, and sometimes a change is is really healthy for a church. Yeah. You know, and and but now you see that you see the steps, and, and the church has gone from obviously from nothing to now. You know, sorry, Jake, if you're listening to this, you're probably going to have to get a bigger building pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he, uh, he and I were just uh, we're just talking the other day, and he's like bemoaning the fact that yeah. he's outgrowing his building. I'm like, that's a good problem to it's have. It's a good problem to have. It's going to turn into 180 or, or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He'll turn it into yeah. his music scene. Yeah, but um, no, and, and, and just the, the the timing of God and how the transitions worked and um, how everything came about. Uh, it was really supernatural. God God was able to bring in certain couples to the church that I felt like took the church to another level. Yeah. Um, that really helped open the door right and you know for 
two and a half years, we labored to get a Bible study going on base. And I think it was like three weeks before we left, we finally were able to get into the into the base and start a Bible study. And oh, wow. and, and now that that thing has has the, the valves open completely on that. And, That's and God's really helping them. So that's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So that was so very exciting. Um, more recently. So you, you were in 29 for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. So more recently, uh, you've come back to Prescott. Um, initially, you came back uh, to be sort of Pastor Mitchell's armor bearer. Yeah. And I think that uh, you probably gleaned a lot of valuable wisdom during that time. Yeah. So I'd like to, uh, uh, you know, just have a conversation about what that was like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the things maybe you learned from Pastor Mitchell being with him all the time. Um, do you want to, you know, just kind of go into that? Yeah. What, what, what was that like coming back to Prescott to do that? Um, it was surreal. Um, it, it was so April it was actually April 19th, my birthday, when Pastor Greg and Lisa came to 29 to visit for a little bit. And Pastor Greg asked if we'd be willing to come to Prescott and help assist um, as like pastoral care and and travel with Pastor Mitchell. Wherever he goes, I would go. I would help with, you know, whatever he whatever he would need. And, mm. um, you know, at at that time, it, it was it definitely caught me off guard. Uh, I didn't I didn't really see it coming. But that was, you know, that's the that's the blessing of having the leadership that we have in our fellowship is, is mm -hmm. men with wisdom enough to see, OK, what are the, what are going to be the needs down the road? Right. We don't want to just be reactionary, but we want to we want to try and. Proactive. Meet those yeah. proactive meet those needs before they mm -hmm. come and so um you know coming into it uh i wasn't you know i i had a relationship with pastor mitchell before but it's just different like it's there's there's a separation there's kind of a distance between you and the senior pastor when you're out on the field yeah um you know and and really i was discipled by pastor greg i wasn't really discipled by pastor mitchell obviously you you glean things from sermons and you yeah. breakfast table questions and yep. that sort of thing but it was it was a real privilege to be able to be with pastor mitchell and just see uh see his life towards the end towards the end there to see his his commitment and his dedication yeah um you know at the beginning the first few months it was I mean, we our schedule was was crazy. We had, I, I think, at, at one point, we were home for like, uh, out of a whole month, we were home for maybe ten days. Wow! You know, that was a weekend here, a weekend there, a few wow. days in between. Jeez. But and it, it was, in those trips, it were it, it was mostly international, and so oh, wow. you know, you had very very long flights, and I'm. I'm trying to process jet lag and keep it all to myself because, <laughs> you know, you got nothing to say. I got nothing, you got to, nothing say. to say. You're Here, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with the 90 year, yeah, yeah 90 year old. 89, 90 year old man. I'm trying to keep up with him. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to have more coffee, you know, <laughs> you know but it, it was really one of the things that I noticed about Pastor Mitchell's ministry. Um, especially in the end there. And, and I know he said this throughout his entire ministry, but what resonated with me the most was he imparted to men that whatever he could do, whatever he was doing, that those same men, they could do it also. Yeah. Right. It was, it was 
just it gave it gave incredible dignity to some of these pastors, these young men who are like, I want to I want to be like Pastor Mitchell. Yeah, that's admirable. Everybody wants to be like Pastor Mitchell, and and Pastor Mitchell would say, at the end of a healing crusade, um, you know, before he would dismiss, he he would call all the pastors up to the to the front, face the audience, and say, these men can do whatever I can do. You come. You, you ask you ask them to pray for you um, and God will heal you and it was like it was like just it, it gave such a confidence yeah. to to the next generation and um, you know one of the things that I I would ask Pastor Mitchell is you know what what's your what's your biggest fear um, of of what what is going to happen to the fellowship after you're gone you know not I wouldn't have these conversations all the time. They'd be a little bit morbid. But yeah. um, I, I just wanted to get his perspective because, you know, he, he had the benefit of being able to look back and see the many chapters of our fellowship, that we've, mm-hmm. things that we've gone through. And, you know, one of, one of the things that he mentioned was he said, the third generation always sells the farm. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, I've heard that before, but I, I just said, well, can you explain that? Can you extrapolate on that what, what, what does that mean he said well you know the first generation they see the potential yep the second generation they want to protect that they saw the labors of their fathers mm-hmm. and so they they're able to work the land they're able to bring up a huge crop they're able to see fruitfulness and blessing flow but then you have the third generation they're like well yeah grandpa started the farm dad's been working it but I could do something else yeah, you know, and thinking about our generation, and you know, the whole point of this podcast is to try and inspire the up and coming generation that That's we are. Exactly right. You know, yep. we're we uh, we have the blessing of being able to inherit something that we didn't really work for. Right. The, the battles that Pastor Mitchell had to go through. Exactly like Foursquare. what you said with twenty nine. You yeah. you came into something, inherited something that you didn't really right. work for. Right. Yeah, and so. You know, and I and I followed it up. I asked Pastor Greg. I said, you know, well, why? Why does the third generation always sell the farm? And and he mentioned. He said, well, number one, they don't have gratitude mm-hmm. for for what's been given to them. Um, they don't value it. They don't see it as important, right? It, oh yeah, it's just church. Yeah, it's something my parents do, or whatever. You know, and 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 number number four or number three um, is the issue of uh, appreciation and understanding. Why we do what we do. What, why is it important? Mm-hmm. Why does it matter? Are we just another church organization, you know, pulling offerings and, and just helping the community? Is, and, is that yeah. what we are? Yep. And gathering people, congregating people. To people who, for people who don't understand what we do, uh, that's probably the assumption they would come to. Yeah. But to understand and know our history, what we are as a fellowship is an absolute miracle of God. And a number of reasons for that, but just the fact that our form of discipleship is that, you know, Pastor Mitchell preached the power of the local church, yeah, the indigenous church principle, right? Mm-hmm. That everything needed to win the world for Jesus can be done in the local church. Right. So you have pastors are going to be listening to this podcast. You know, you have a church of 30, 40 people and you think, well, 
I'm not going to be able to win the world for Jesus for another 50 years because I don't have the resources. I don't have right. the, the people. There all these limitations. And But think about what Pastor Mitchell had when he stepped into Prescott. Yeah. I, not a whole lot. What, what does he always say? Like 20, 20 people with... Yeah, uh, 27 people. And, counting and, his family. Yeah, <laughs> counting his family. Yeah. And that, and that was a thing. But that when when you view life as it all being about you, you take the God factor out of it, right. then yeah, you're going to struggle. And and Pastor Mitchell, when he came into Prescott, it was a very broken church too. It was, yeah. it was uh, there was a moral failure before he came here mm-hmm. and people on the verge of leaving the baptismal was filled with with used clothes that they were doing, uh, you know, whatever yeah. rummage sales f- with just to make yeah. ends meet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so not to, uh, you know, get off track with the conversation but um yeah that and that was really that's really the blessing of our fellowship is that you know from a small local church you can win the world for jesus start discipling the men you have right start working with what god has given you you know be an example you know you you will you will preach who you are before you preach what you say Mm. you know and and that's and, and that's the thing is Pastor Mitchell had a heart for people at the very beginning. He had a love and a passion for people. Think, you know, a country bumpkin from Arkansas. Yeah. How much can he relate to the life of a, a traveling hippie? Not at <laughs> all. But the difference was he just loved people. Right. Right. He was able to he was able to see the potential in people before they saw it in themselves. Right. And And really in traveling with him, that's one of the things that. I mean, when, when he would get up and, and start praying for the sick, it was like God removed, you know, he took him from 90 years old to 70 again. Right. And it was, it was, it was a powerful thing to watch because it was like, that was, that, that was, that was the thing that he loved the most. Yeah. Was the look and expression on people's faces when God would heal them. Yeah. And he would say, you know. Uh, what is what? What did Jesus do for you? And they say, "Oh, I'm healed. My back's healed, or whatever." And he said, "Does right. that make you happy?" And they, you know, <laughs> they'd be they'd be laughing and rejoicing. But yeah. that that was that was really what was so special about Pastor Mitchell from from my perspective was mm-hmm. not only could he see the potential in other people, but he loved people so much. Yeah, you know, and you know, sometimes older folks they can get crotchety, and and it's it's like, you know, it's it's a lot of work to. To, to love people and yeah. it's like well, I'm, I'm I'm past that Pastor know? Mitchell never did never Pastor Mitchell never did yeah he, he had his one liners he, he cracked yeah. jokes but <laughs> at the end of the yeah. day it's like Pastor Mitchell had a heart for people yes. all the way up until the end yeah you know got to the yeah. point where he couldn't really read his own handwriting anymore but I don't think anybody could ever read his own handwriting <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know how he did it for so many years but um, you know even I, I would I would sit with him after after prayer uh, we'd go back to his house and I would I would sit and type out his sermons for him and it was still vibrant it was still he, he wanted so badly to do this to the very end he wanted yeah. to finish well yeah and he did yeah. it, uh, you know up until the very end he he worked he prayed you know he was he mm-hmm. was adamant about that one of the most astonishing things to me um, was near the end pastor Mitchell um, you know it all covid and everything kind of happened all around the same time but uh, just seeing Pastor Mitchell, um, you know, who, who towards the end was 
you know, maybe not as uh, present in church as much, but just when he was there, he was in the prayer room. He was praying for people. It was amazing. Yeah. It was like, that was just one of the last things I remember mm -hmm. uh, about Pastor Mitchell. Like, man, he's here. He's praying for people. He's, yeah. you know, getting a hold of God. Here. He would ask me about you know? people. We, we were, you know, towards the end there, um, you know, when his health started to fail, we were watching church from, from home. And he would ask me about people, you know, how are they doing? Are they mm -hmm. okay? You know, uh, he would always ask about Arnie Dirksen, you know, how's he, was he in church yeah. today? And, you know, and that was, that was just a, that was an amazing thing because it wasn't a front. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I got to put on a show, but it was like Pastor Mitchell loved people so much. Right. And it, that, that never, that never really expired. You know, it was, it was always, it was always front and center. And he always, I, I mean, he dealt with <laughs> some of the worst rebellions and, and backstabs I could even imagine. And he never lost that. He put his credibility on the line and invested in people and they stabbed him in the back and, and then spit in his face and said, what did you ever do for me? Oh, besides just giving me wheelbarrows full of money. Yeah. You know, but he never got bitter. Yeah, he never did. You, you would think like after, you know, that happened a few times, you'd be like, you know what? Bag the whole world evangelism thing. <laughs> I could see one time having yeah, that happen. Yeah, it's like, and, okay, and note to self, it. we're going to, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do something different now. But, yeah, he never um, gave it up. Yeah, I think I, it, uh, I, um, I mentioned this book a couple of times in our podcast just because it's one that I'm, uh, one of the ones that's really stood out to me recently. It's uh, uh, Gordon McDonald. Um, oh, man. Drone and powerful. Drawn, drawn a blank on the name here. <laughs> the podcast listeners know because I've mentioned it before. Um, ordering your private world. Okay. But one of the things he really talks about is the difference between a driven man who can only really go so far driven um, by ambition or whatever yeah. it is that's driving you and a called man. Mm. And a called man can blow through all of the, the heartache and the explosions of life yeah. because he's called. And right. it's not, and he's got a he's got an orderly private world, and I think that that really that that um, word picture really describes right. who Pastor Mitchell was. Mm. He knew who God was. He knew who he was. Yeah. He knew what he was called to do, and he just never lost that vision. Yeah. And so the point, like like you say, the point of this podcast really is to um, inspire that same vision of Pastor Mitchell, and you know, Pastor Greg obviously has picked up that mantle. Yeah. Um, and he's running with it, but we are the third generation, right? You and I, yeah. And, and and you have to own the vision for yourself, right? It can't just be something that, oh well, we have a plaque on our wall, and yeah, that there's you want the vision there, there it is. But yeah, it, it it has to become who you are. It has to become your identity. Well, that's that was you know? part of that was absolutely part of Pastor Mitchell's vision is discipleship. Mm -hmm. Discipleship is is you know, giving a part of you to to the next person. Yeah, yeah, right. Absolutely, yeah. You look at, you look at other moves of God, and and you can you can identify, you know, William Booth, he started the Salvation Army. But mm -hmm. can you name any disciples of William Booth? Right. Powerful organization at the time. They were doing something incredible for God. But and now, when you think of the Salvation Army, all you think of is Christmas time, a person ringing a bell outside the mall. Right. Right. Um, and and really that was that was the thing was it's it's an imparted vision 
you impart, you, you cast the vision, but it's up to us to pick that up and yeah. say, our generation today is just as broken, if not more broken than the generation of the 70s. Right. Right. Young people that are suicidal and depressed. It's like we we, we have the answer. We yeah. have the hope for them. You know, and, and if the latter is really going to be greater than the former, if the plowman is really going to overtake the reaper, then what it requires is the third generation to say what God imparted to Pastor Mitchell, mm-hmm. the vision, the inspiration, and, and the direction of our fellowship, what God gave to him, we need to own that for ourselves and pass right. it along to the next generation should, you know, Jesus tarry, as, as they say. Sure. You know. So there's there's... A number of things that, you know, would be included in that vision. Something that uh, you sparked a thought for me is that there's a lot of things that are um, parts of our fellowship or distinctives of our fellowship, which is originally the name of this podcast, but we've changed it. I like both names either yeah. way. And you got a better logo now. Too. Better logo now too. Thanks <laughs> and, to our, and bumper music. Thanks to uh, <laughs> Stephen Cassio making a, a logo and bumper music. Not for hire. <laughs> <laughs> not for hire. If you're starting a podcast out there, uh, he's not available. He just <laughs> did me a favor. Um, no, but one of the distinctives that that uh, that we have as a fellowship is that we have uh, outreach ministries like um, like the 180, mm-hmm. the music scene. And so I wanted to touch on on that with you a little bit. Just as sort of um, the, and I'm, I'm going to have um, Pastor Jesse Morales on as well to talk about this, but if we could briefly um, maybe talk about what is the benefit and value of the music scene, because I know that's one that comes under fire quite a lot. Uh, another one is door-to-door outreach. Mm-hmm. Um, those two things tend to, uh, you know, and and... I don't know anybody personally, but tangentially you hear murmurings of, oh, yeah, that doesn't work anymore. You know, um, we don't do that anymore. Yeah. What's the what what would be the uh, in, in, you know, your experience as a pioneer and in twenty nine and even here in Prescott as a disciple? What would be the benefits of the music scene as a as a means of ministry? Um, Well, I think I think number one, uh, the one eighty is an evangelistic tool first and foremost it's you're creating pastor mitchell said an outreach is you you find a crowd or you create a crowd mm-hmm. right and a a universal language of all peoples for all generations has been music mm-hmm. right and, and and i unless i'm i've been living under a rock i think the up and coming generation is still really into music <laughs> maybe Are they're they? maybe they're not into the doors or you know journey or right you know pink floyd maybe they're into like you know modern music which that makes sense to me so you <laughs> 180 it's a tool of evangelism to draw sinners right to create a platform where the gospel can be presented in a clear way and people can be brought to a decision to get saved so that's to me that's number 1 if it ever becomes something different, like, hey, we're having a Casting Crowns concert at our music scene tonight, well, you're appealing to a different clientele. You're right. appealing to church people. Right. That's, that's not what we're after. Right. Right. Um, so y- you have to keep bear that in mind. It's an evangelistic tool. And I think number two, uh, number two it's, it's a, a mechanism for discipleship. And, and that's not just 
the altar call preachers. It's not just, hey, these guys can learn how to preach an altar call and, and be clear and mention Jesus and, you know. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully mention Jesus. I've, I've, I've been to a couple <laughs> concerts, unfortunately, <laughs> in, in, with our superior ministry where I've heard, <laughs> you know, guys forget Jesus. And it's like, oh, there's, there was, you know, there was something missing in that altar call. <laughs> something oh, was missing. Uh, that's what it was. <laughs> And so anyway, so yeah, it's a tool of discipleship where you can have, you know, men learn how to preach, how to pull an altar call, how to, how to, you know, contend for the supernatural in the altar call, but also think of the different ministries that are involved in the music scene. Right. You have bands. That means you have to have a band leader. You have to have music that is relevant, um, you know, to the current generation. If you get up and just play Beethoven, then you're probably not going to draw a whole lot right. of young people to that. I've, I've experienced, you know, I don't want to derail, but I've experienced situations where, um, you know, not third generation trying to sell the farm, trying to, you know, make it relevant to their generation um, in some sense where, you know, we're having a concert like uh, an electro pop night. We did that a couple, mm -hmm. like two or three years ago here in our 180 scene. And... Um, like you said, you know, we're not we're not dealing with people who love the doors and, yeah. you know, <laughs> whatever else, you know what I mean? Motley Crue, <laughs> though we have a few Motley Crues from <laughs> time to time playing in the 180. Maybe, yeah. um, but but what happened was there was a lot of resistance from the older generation. Sure. And I understand it to a degree because they don't want, oh, you know, that's not what we are. We don't want to be... Um, becoming secular but it wasn't and there yeah. was a lot of visitors mm -hmm. and people got saved and it was it was powerful so yeah. how do we strike that balance between including the older generations and saying hey we're not trying to to change this thing fundamentally we're trying to modernize it to a degree people people resist change when they don't understand vision mm -hmm. when they don't understand purpose so you know they 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 equate the 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 pattern is you know song song testimony drama song song testimony drama altar call that's how it has to be that and if you ever divert then you know that that's like the holy trinity you can't divert from that mm -hmm. um, but when you understand purpose and you understand look we're, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel we're trying to appeal to kids that are under twenty years old right right so. If you have to hand out glow sticks at the beginning of a concert, like we're we're not encouraging people to you know take their clothes off or uh, you know we're not right. handing out bottles of beer because right. we want to be relevant and current to the right. culture. Exactly. Nothing's changing about our message. We give dignity to the gospel. We provide a platform where the gospel can be presented clearly. But your avenue, instead of having you know bands playing on the stage, you have a DJ. Or you have, well, I wasn't here, we were in 29 when yeah. the hip-hop night happened or the, um, Electro the electro-pop night, you know. But I think the, the point is you're coming up with a way, okay, how can we reach this generation? Right. Back in the 70s, they went to Pastor Mitchell and said, we want to do street dramas. And Pastor Mitchell's like, what's a street drama? You know, then they explained it. A bunch of people get saved. 
you know, same thing with music. When, when they went to California, Pastor took a couple of other guys and they saw a concert and Pastor Mitchell's like, this could work in Prescott. Yeah. They came back, they hired, you know, some, some, you know, they didn't have any bands in the church. Yeah. So they hired some guy to play acoustic guitar. I don't think he was saved. You know, <laughs> they, they got a, like a home stereo system to right. amplify it, you know, but you had like 300 visitors and, a, you know, tons of people saved. And so that was the catalyst. Is like, and Pastor Mitchell would have even said, wasn't his favorite kind of music. No, not what he would have listened to. No, in and, his free and time. through the years, he, you know, he, he's he's been to. I can remember vividly as a young man, you know, back in the day at the underground. Mm -hmm. You know, we were you know, were having our concert, and I don't remember what bands. They were probably horrible, but um, <laughs> we had bands playing, and I can remember Pastor Mitchell just sitting in the back, and he was there every concert. It was like. Yeah. Not because he, he loved he loved crummy music, but because he understood what we were trying to do. Right. If if a glow stick is the difference between a, a 16 year old suicidal kid coming into 180 or not, buy a glow stick. Yeah. You know. Exactly. And I think the the other issue too, and you know, we have to be careful too. It's like we we can't paint with too broad of a brush. Perhaps there are people out there in the fellowship somewhere that say concerts don't work anymore. You know, my argument to that is, well, are you doing them well? Yeah. You know, yeah. are you, do, do you understand the vision? Do you understand what you're trying to accomplish? Well, it's, it's sort of, yeah, it's like saying it doesn't work anymore, but you, you're producing a product that nobody wants to invite anybody to. Sure. You know, because it's terrible well, and, and embarrassing. Well, and you said a bad word, too. You said product. But it is a product. Exactly. I think in the church world that, you know, that I, I, I don't think church people like viewing it as a product, right? We don't like viewing it as, oh, this is something we're trying to sell. But we're, we're not trying to appeal to the church world. We're trying to appeal to sinners. Right. And, and we're not selling the gospel as a product. What we're selling as a product is... The concerts, it's an scene. avenue, yeah, yeah, yeah. The it's gospel, bait, right? the gospel is is presented by by the means of the right. product. It's right? a bridge. It's a bridge. All, all it is, one eighty, is just a bridge to bring people to a place where they can uh, hear the gospel and give be given an opportunity to respond. And I would also add, um, it's it's a regular ministry. Right. Mm. We don't put all our eggs in one big event basket where. Right. You know, we, we had, you know, we had live animals and, and acrobatics team and all this stuff for this one huge event. But what happens if it gets rained out? Yeah. What happens if the power goes out in the middle of it? You've invested thousands of dollars into this thing. Or, or what happens if just, no visitors come? What if nobody shows up? What if nobody shows up and you put all this effort but then, and money? But then the assumption is that, oh, well, I guess now big events don't work. You've already said... Uh, you've already said the music scene doesn't work. Well, big events don't work. And it's a slippery slope, too, yeah. because then you might say, well, why are we having service on Sunday night? If, if we can make the same amount of money Sunday morning as we can Sunday night, why would we have a Sunday night service? Yeah. Why are we doing music scene if, if uh, you know, we can, we can have the same results by going to Walmart? So I think the other, the other benefit of of the music scene is we we have we have now 
been operating a concert scene for almost 50 years in Prescott. Yeah. If our fellowship is 50 years old, Pastor Mitchell started it shortly after. So, you know, we are, we, we see every weekend, we see um, people getting saved. And when we don't, it's another teaching moment for our disciples. Right. Now you have to lay hold of God. Now you have to figure out why. Now you have to start pushing buttons. You know, maybe you have to come here earlier and pray. Maybe you have to, throughout the week, maybe you have to fast with your other disciples. That'd, be an, interesting, that'd be an interesting uh, thought experiment to kind of run it back. And obviously you don't see every single person who prays in the concert in church the next day. Sure. And then, you know, powerfully saved and they, they yeah. become a what disciple. What must I do to be saved? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But if you were to go back... And just kind of do the math of seeds planted and, you know, people who maybe, we don't know, they, they might have not even been from here, but yeah. ultimately they went off back to their hometown and and did a work for God. And they, we'll sure. never know about that until eternity. Right. It's like, who knows the, the ultimate benefit? Yeah, but we could say without a doubt, if you don't do anything, then obviously you're going to have zero fruit. Exactly. Right. And so for some for some pastors listening to this, they they can come to the conclusion. Well, I can't do that until I have my own standalone building for 180. Well, do it in your church. Yeah. Put up some colored lights, spend a couple hundred bucks (laughs) on some lights and banners. Right. Make it make it look like a concert. Don't make it look like a church, you know. And yeah, I don't know if we even need to get into the practicals of making a 180, uh, you know, run well and efficiently. But. I think it's just inspiring people and, and well, giving them I'll, I'll definitely be getting into the more more of the practical stuff with Pastor Jesse because we're gonna yeah. probably focus an entire uh, episode or maybe even two parts on on building a concert scene, what's all involved, and I know you have a lot yeah. of insight on that as well. Um, but uh, he he brought concerts back from the grave, mm-hmm. essentially in two different cities. Yeah, yeah. And so we're gonna have a conversation about that. So definitely, uh, those listening, you're gonna want to tune into that one for sure. Um, but this has been a good, uh, a good conversation. Yeah, definitely. Um, thank you for, for coming on, for sharing your wisdom. I appreciate you, uh, sharing Pastor Mitchell's wisdom by proxy. Yeah, I, I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to come on. And I think, I think this podcast is going to go far. We're not trying to, uh, reinvent the wheel. We're trying to inspire people. Exactly. Um, you know, the not trying to be, not trying to be generation. gourmet either. <laughs> Yep, yep. Yeah. Just uh just a good snack. Well, for, uh, you know, I I think I think we we gain something pretty powerful when we can hear testimonies and conversations from leaders in our fellowship on a different level of just a preaching a sermon. Right. You kind of get a, a deeper insight into who they are. You you kind of uh well, get to develop those thoughts a little bit better. We, you know, uh, here in Prescott, we've had a, we've had the ability to sit down at the breakfast table for years. Yeah, you know, with Pastor Greg, Pastor Mitchell, mm-hmm. you know, other leaders that come to Prescott for conferences and and have the opportunity to ask questions of yeah. them. And so, like you say, the the ideal of this podcast is that this is the breakfast table now available on a more broad scale. Right. Right. So. Um, and if anything, it can just inspire men to start asking questions from their pastors. Exactly right. Why do we do? Why do we do it this way? Why do you know? Um, how are we? How can we be more effective in, in this? 
is this sure. the best strategy, right? You know, right. and and that that was the other thing too. Just not to dive back into. I know we're coming to a conclusion here, but um, with Pastor Mitchell, uh, guys could ask him questions you know, basic questions, silly questions, whatever it was. And, and because Pastor Mitchell cared for people, he always gave them the, dig- the dignity of an answer. Yeah. He would, he would answer their questions clearly. He would try and inspire men wherever we would go. We would yeah. have meals and, you know, questions would be asked. And, you know, that's, that's the encouraging thing. Is Sometimes his answer would bite a little bit. If it yeah, was a dumb yeah. question. <laughs> if he knew the person, yeah. If he or, knew the person. Yeah, if yeah. he knew the person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we, we love him anyway. We love him. We love him for it. Very good. All right. So Appreciate thank it. you guys for tuning in. Uh, we look forward to uh, another podcast next week. Bye now.